Good afternoon. It's, it's a real joy and privilege to be able to speak in this house today. And um, Pastor Young, I know that this is not something that you do lightly to give your trust of the pulpit that God has entrusted to you, to the next generation. So thank you for the trust, Pastor. Let's pray, shall we? Yeah. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm really glad to be speaking to you today. Uh, before I begin, now most of you may have seen me before doing announcements, but I thought I'd take a moment to introduce myself properly. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm in my mid-30s this year. Uh, yeah, yeah, not married yet, but hopefully soon by the grace of God. Uh, I have been in full-time ministry since 2016. I spent about two years in Africa, in the deep, dark parts, you know. Uh, not South Africa. South Africa is not Africa. And, <laughs> and um, you know, it was a real joy to be serving the Lord on the field. I've been back uh, since about 2018, and I now serve different uh, ministries here in Singapore, different communities of people. So this afternoon, I'd like to share with us a message that I feel is a fresh word from heaven uh, that I asked the Lord for, for this particular congregation, and I pray that it will be relevant to some of us here today. I'm going to be speaking about the gospel of the kingdom, and I want to redig uh, the idea of the gospel as Jesus preached it, how it should sound like, how it should look like for believers in the 21st century. If I was to ask us today the starting question, right? What is the job of the Christian today? I think most of us would reasonably say uh, to preach the gospel, lah, right? And that's true. We are supposed to preach the gospel. And so if I was to say, what is the gospel? What would the answer be? And don't tell me Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's not the answer we're looking for today. <laughs> you know, there's a sequence to the way we preach the gospel today, right? Sometimes we start with the problem. There is sin in mankind. And then we go to the solution. But Jesus came to die for our sins. And then we move to the outcome, which is so we can go to heaven. And maybe along the way, we will share our testimony about what God has done in our lives. And perhaps maybe even lead them into the sinner's prayer as well. And so this is what uh, gospel delivery tends to look like these days. Oh, by the way, I found this really great meme that we're going to put up on the stage, uh, on the screen. It says, and so then you bow your heads and you close your eyes and you invite me to come into your heart to be your personal Lord and Saviour. Amen. Hashtag, things that Jesus never said. And yet, this is exactly how we preach the gospel today sometimes, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with helping people cross the bridge of confession. Romans 10 verse 9 says, when you believe in your, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. But that is not the full package, isn't it? The process of discipleship cannot just end at the sinner's prayer, right? Now, Maybe, you know, some of us, we feel a little bit insecure because somebody's salvation is so important and we're afraid that we will like maybe botch it up accidentally, right? And so we think, okay, perhaps I'll just invite them to come to church and then maybe they will listen to Pastor Yang's fiery message and then uh, maybe they'll be led to the sinner's prayer and then, aha, mission accomplished. But that's not it either. It cannot be, that's not the process of discipleship, right? A sinner's prayer isn't quite what the Bible teaches when it speaks to us about salvation or the process of being born again. 
but maybe I'm being too cavalier. Maybe we should really give it a whack, right? Okay, so we say, all right, what is the gospel? Jesus came, he died, he resurrected. And so we must then believe in our hearts. We must follow Jesus. We must repent. And this is God's grace and mercy towards us. It's the story of his forgiveness. It's the story of our salvation, our redemption, our reconciliation with God. We put on the righteousness of Christ and God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, right? This is justification by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. This is the message of God's grace in a fleshed out way. Amen? But that's not the gospel either. That's the gospel of atonement. But the message that Jesus preached was actually a lot more holistic than the gospel of atonement. You see, our salvation is a part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. There is so much more that we can unpack. And so this is why I think it's really important that we re-examine the gospel as preached by Jesus. What was his one central message? Because what we understand of the gospel is going to inform how we share it today and what the witness of our lives will look like. So let's examine, what did Jesus preach? Fortunately, there is no need to guess. He gave us the cheat code in the Scripture. And, you know, I'm going to be reading from uh, Luke uh, chapter 4 today, but actually Matthew 4 and Mark 1 all talk about the same uh, uh, period of time. Now let me start with the context, okay? The context is such that Jesus first passes his three temptations out in the wilderness. He then goes to Nazareth where on the Sabbath he goes to the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61. He finds his place in the scroll and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What then happens is the people are initially impressed with Jesus, but then he leaves because they reject him. He goes down to a place called Capernaum. And in Capernaum, he proceeds with his ministry of healing and of deliverance. That's where he also calls Peter and Andrew, James and John. And a lot of people are flocking to Jesus at this stage because of his ministry of healing and deliverance, right? But the disciples come to him one morning and he says, look guys, we've got to go. And this is where our main scripture comes from today. Luke 4.43, it says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. In this scripture, we find Jesus' clear mission statement. And what is it? It is to proclaim the kingdom of God, right? Now, before we unpack the kingdom of God, I want to give a small uh, interjection here. I want to point out something. Let's take a look at this scripture, right? When it says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, the word also means that in Nazareth and Capernaum, he was already proclaiming the kingdom of God. Amen? Right? In all that he said, as well as all that he did. So let's examine what exactly was Jesus doing in Nazareth and in Capernaum. Matthew 4, 23-24, it says, And Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching, 
sorry, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. One thing I want to point out here is that the proclamation of the kingdom of God is always accompanied by healing and deliverance. And here in Cornerstone, we know all about this, don't we? We know that God has the power to heal and deliver because we see these stories all the time. We used to run that conference, Kingdom Invasion, right? Kingdom Invasion is not just an invitation that comes from the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. It is a declaration. Every time we heal and deliver, we proclaim the kingdom of God is here and now the kingdom of God is near. And so, in Cornerstone, we must never stop being disciples of the wind, those who are born of the Spirit. Like John chapter 3, verse 8 says, right? So it is with those born of the Spirit. We must never lose that DNA, and we must always fulfill that function in this nation because the nation is crying out for healing. The nation is crying out for deliverance. So what do we know so far? We know, number one, that Jesus preached the kingdom of God. And number two, he demonstrated this with healing and deliverance. Now, I think as we move forward, it's really important that we understand three things. And so I'm going to unpack the contours of the kingdom of God in three questions. And then we're going to get to the meaty stuff. We're going to get to the practical outflow in society today. Number one, what is the kingdom of God? Number two, when is the kingdom of God? And number three, who is involved in the kingdom of God, all right? So first up, let's explore the idea of what is the kingdom of God. When Jesus went around preaching the kingdom of God, he wasn't actually introducing a new concept. Did you know that the Jews also were expecting a Messiah and they were expecting this Messiah to bring about a radical change in the circumstances of the Jews? Now you might ask, on what basis were they expecting such a thing? Well, they were not that different from us, right? They had their prophets, and the prophets prophesied that there was a coming kingdom, a coming Messiah. And so they looked through to the Old Testament, right? And in the Old Testament, we actually see this Messiah, this coming kingdom described in a couple of places, Isaiah, Daniel, some of the other prophets as well. So I took a look at some of these key scriptures, and I drew out themes about what the kingdom of God looks like. And so I've got like five themes on the screen that I want to share with you today, right? One of the themes is a good news uh, has dawned, a new day has dawned, right? In Isaiah chapter 9, I believe, it says, a great light has dawned, and the people increase in joy. A second theme that we could consider is the idea of freedom from the captives. And we see this, of course, in Isaiah 61, right? The third theme is obedience to God's ways. In Isaiah 2, it speaks about how He will teach us His ways and we will walk in His paths. You know, I think that in Isaiah 61, when Jesus says that He's going to restore sight to the blind, perhaps He wasn't just talking about the physically blind. Perhaps he was talking about those whose spirits needed direction as well. Number four, he speaks, the kingdom speaks of a reigning peace that displaces war. Isaiah 2 speaks of how swords will be turned into plowshares and spears will be turned into pruning hooks. 
Nation will not rise up against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And finally, we have the theme of God's rulership, His government, right? In uh, Isaiah 9, is that famous Christmas scripture, of the increase of His government, there will be no end. Right or not? So, we see that there are these five themes of the kingdom, and it's kind of like a broad brush description of what the kingdom of God is to look like. Now, the Jews were expecting that when God comes, He will remove all evil. He will inaugurate a new unprecedented age of joy, blessing, prosperity. They saw this kingdom in perhaps three ways, right? Number one, it was a spiritual kingdom. Number two, a political kingdom. And number three, an economic kingdom. The spiritual kingdom was because God was to come and rule over all. He would be worshipped as the one true God. He would dismantle evil. The political kingdom, because Isaiah and Daniel speak of how there would be a great leader to rise up and put war down. He would rule with peace. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will judge between the nations as a ruler. That was his government. And then there is the economic kingdom. And the economic kingdom speaks of the spirit of jubilee, where every 50 years there would be a a reset of sorts, right? Where land that was uh, mortgaged out would be returned, the slaves would be freed, and so on and so forth. Debt would be cancelled. It was a time of great prosperity that they were expecting. But in contrast to the Jews, Jesus came with a slightly different message. What he did was he proclaimed a kingdom that was a lot less about conquest and societal takeover and a great victory for the Jewish people. And he spoke of suffering, servitude, love, patience, growth. It was quite confounding to the Jews of that day. In fact, I might suggest that Jesus taking so much time to explain the contours of the kingdom to the Jews who very well ought to have known what the kingdom is supposed to look like means that his interpretation of the kingdom, the kingdom that he was bringing was radically different from that which the Jews were expecting. He speaks about how the kingdom grows like a mustard seed into a great tree, how it spreads gradually like yeast through dough. The kingdom takes time. It's organic. It's not organizational. He speaks about how precious it is, how it's worth giving up everything for, like treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great price. He demonstrated it with healing and deliverance. He spoke about where the kingdom was. He said to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is here among you. And at the same time, he spoke about when the kingdom would come. Pray for the kingdom to come, even as it is near right now. He also speaks about how, who will inherit it, the meek, the children, the poor, the humble. And this was radically different from what the Jews were expecting the inheritors of the kingdom to look like. Jesus had to reframe their paradigm of a big triumphalist kingdom, something like an instant gratification kingdom, into one that was a lot more participation-based, one that was a lot more about willing submission to the will of God. Jesus' narrative of the kingdom of God expressed the hope for a world in which the powers of sin and death and destruction would be replaced by peace and justice and the worship of the one true God, even by the outsiders, the Gentiles that the Jews were not quite expecting. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, this is the first question, right? In short, the kingdom of God is the hope for the rule of God to be restored over all creation. That was the message that Jesus spoke about. 
So then we ask ourselves, now we get into a bit of technicality, okay? When is the kingdom of God? Because this is very confusing for uh, many of us, but I thought I would uh, put it into a bit of a diagram to make it clear for us, okay? In the old age of the covenant, they prophesied about a coming age in which there was a kingdom and a Messiah, and they would bring about a new day for Israel and the world. And then when Jesus and John were on the scene, right, they proclaimed that the time has come The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's Jesus in Mark chapter 1.15. And yet, we also know that the kingdom of God is not fully here yet. Because, like it or not, the world is broken. And so, we participate in the kingdom by inviting the kingdom to come continually. And so today, we live in something called an interesting interim period called the overlap of the ages. And in this overlap of the ages, the present evil age, in still which we live, is now passing away while the kingdom is increasing. We are in the overlap period, right? And so the the old age, um, sorry, rather, the new age to come has already dawned because of the first coming of Christ. But because the second coming of Christ has not yet arrived, the the full expression of the kingdom is not here yet. Jesus said that His second coming will be sudden, unexpected, like lightning. But we ought not confuse the second coming of Christ with the arrival of the kingdom of God, right? The arrival of the kingdom of God is something gradual. It will grow like a mustard seed. It spreads gradually through the door. Of the increase of His kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. And so we need to understand that we have a part to play in this increase story, right? And so we move on to point three. Who's involved in the kingdom? Jesus' instruction to us in the Olivet Discourse and the Great Commission, which should be our, yeah, this slide, right? We already know that our Saviour commands us to labour with Him in redeeming creation. His instruction was that true believers would be preaching the gospel of the kingdom to all nations and making disciples of them and teaching them to obey. And this is why us being clear on what the gospel of the kingdom is, is so important. Because what we believe is the gospel is what we will present as the gospel. And what we present as the gospel will determine what we then present as discipleship. Could it be that in society today, Christians are not making the kingdom impact that they could because many of us think that the gospel is primarily about our salvation. Could it be that if we understood the message of the kingdom of God and all that it entails, then we would begin to see the real salt and light impact that the kingdom should manifest on the earth? And so this is an important question that we must ask ourselves, even though it may make us a bit uncomfortable. Better now than later, I suppose. The question is this, what gospel have we received? Which gospel do the actions of our lives preach today? 
Some of us think that kingdom business belongs to those who are in full-time ministry or kingdom business is uh, for God to do. But actually, if we understood our role in the kingdom, our identity in the kingdom, we would realize that it is our job, our role, right? Let me read a couple of scriptures. John 1, 12. And to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And then we follow up, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, you follow the logic flow, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if conditionality, if we share in His sufferings in order that we may share in His glory. And 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so there is this logic flow, right, of how belief leads us to uh, have the right to be children of God. And if we are children, and if we are willing to share in the sufferings of Jesus, then we will be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And co-heirs with Christ is no small feat because we are ambassadors of the kingdom and we have been charged with one central job, the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? What is the job of ambassadors of the kingdom? Now, I want to break it down into two major buckets, right, that this ministry entails, okay? Number one is called the restoration of creation in the spirit of jubilee. And this is the jubilee that the Old Testament spoke of. And the second one is the ministry of reconciliation as it's spoken about in 2 Corinthians 5, all right? So let's begin by talking about the restoration of creation in the spirit of Jubilee. Jesus described his followers as salt and light, right? Our job as salt and light is to establish the ways of heaven on the earth today, not the rule of heaven. That's Jesus' job when he comes to rule and to reign. But as ambassadors of the kingdom, we are the apostolion, the apostles, the ship that goes before to show the ways of heaven in economy, in politics, in society, in everything. As salt, we have a couple of major roles, right? As salt, we preserve what is good from corruption. We slow its decay, the decay of society. Our job is to hold back what is evil from overtaking the city in which we live. And so, as Christians, we have a duty of care to this nation. Our job is to enhance the flavour of things, to renew the world with new inventions, new ideas, new solutions brought forth from the heart of God and from the mind of Christ because we are the only ones that have access to it. And our job as salt is to heal the world. We disinfect rotten wounds and broken systems. We restore that which is corrupt we play a part in the redemption of creation. And that includes creation care. That includes taking care of our physical environment. That is the gospel today. It's all-encompassing. It's all in one. This is how we partner with God to both invite thy kingdom come and to be a part of the participatory process of thy will be done. This is the participation narrative. And so, in our time, 
we are now part of this redemptive arc, right? The restoration of creation is the resurrection narrative of the world today. What does that mean? What does that look like in the world today? Well, we see this redemption narrative all through the Old Testament, whether it was Noah who was given the, the instruction to build an ark and he went through the mockery of it and then he saved his family. Or whether it was the children of Israel being led out of Egypt, right? And into the promised land. Or whether it was Jesus' own story, whether he, uh, he lived, he died, and he resurrected again. There are Old Testament narratives that also speak of this, right? In the Old Testament, it spoke of the Jubilee, as I spoke about earlier, where after 50 years, there would be a great redemption and the slaves would be set free, debts would be cancelled, so on and so forth. In the New Testament, Paul speaks about how um, there will be no more slave and master, and that he spoke about the equalization of the relationship, right? He also speaks about how in Galatians, I believe it's five, um, there is no more uh, slave or free, no more circumcised, no more uncircumcised, no more barbarian, Scythian, Jew or Gentile. This is the reconciliation narrative in play in our world today, and we are part of this narrative. So we must ask ourselves perhaps, what are some of the ways that Christians can make a difference in our society today? The kingdom difference. I want to talk about two major uh, issues that I feel a lot for. I love Filipino mates. I love them because my own helper in my family has been with me for 32 years. Okay? She's like my mom, right? And so when I see um, the struggle that other Filipino mates have to go through, or Indonesian mates, for example, I'm burdened. Oh, I am burdened for them. I have a fire in my heart for them. Let me describe the situation really quickly, and I'll talk to you about what kingdom solutions could look like, all right? When they come in, they have to go to a mate agency in their home country, right? And so they have to take a loan to get the airfare, so on and so forth, and they come to Singapore. So there's a certain amount of debt that they have that they owe already. Now, when they come into Singapore, they can get connected with a mate agency here. We call it a mate agency. I don't think it's the most polite of terms, but never mind. And the debt is added to, right? Now, when they start working in an employer's house, most uh, helpers today are laden with about six months' worth of debt that they have to pay off, all right? That you're talking about six months' worth of every day, all day, <laughs> just working, and you don't get to send any money to your home because you're busy paying off the debt. Now, some of the debt that was incurred is legitimate costs, you know? It is agency fees. That, I mean, the agency also has to get paid, right? And airfare, maybe training fees, making passport. But the rest of it is pure profit motive. Pure profit motive that is being put on the weakest people in the whole equation. The people with the less bargaining power, right? I mean, which of us would go to a headhunter and say, hey, help me get a job? And then the headhunter says, yeah, but you give me six months of your salary. Xiao! We would never do it to ourselves. And yet, the poor ladies who come in from all these foreign countries spend six months paying off the debt just to work here, Right? So what is the kingdom narrative? What is the kingdom narrative? I'd like to suggest to you that from Nehemiah chapter 5, there is a redemptive story about how the Jews actually complained to Nehemiah, we have to sell our land, we have to sell our children in order to put food on the table. And Nehemiah was so full of indignation, right, that he went to the Jewish nobles and their leaders and he said to them, 
What in the world are you guys doing? You are persecuting your own, Christ- uh, your own people. You are thumbing them down because of your greed. Stop it. And so they did. If only it was so easy, right, for us to just shout at one another. Stop it. <laughs> so let me give you some solutions. I think this is beautiful, okay? There is a brother named James Quack, right? And I don't know which church he's from. He's here in Singapore. And he has started a maid agency called My Helper Maid Agency, right? He primarily serves ladies from Myanmar. And uh, what he's had to do is a lot of work. But this is the redemptive kingdom solution that he brought to it. What he had to do is he, okay, in order to get the, the helpers from Myanmar, usually you will go to a Burmese agency and say, do you have any helpers that can be brought into Singapore, right? But because the Burmese agencies were already profiteering off of these ladies at such a high degree, he had to bypass the entire supply chain in Myanmar and start his own supply chain where he spoke to his partners and said to them, please, don't take so much profit. Let us do ministry. Let us help these ladies. Yes, you need a job, that's fine. But let's commit on principle to taking less profit. And then he came back to Singapore and he did the same with himself. He committed to taking less profit. He doesn't put a huge uh, placement fee on these ladies. And so as a result, these ladies come in with a much lesser debt burden than they otherwise would have. Where's the sacrifice? The sacrifice is that Brother James Quack is not running a profitable mate agency. He's running a social enterprise that is less profitable than his market competitors. And he says that it is better to earn less and do more for the kingdom because the good news must look like something. What about those of us who uh, may in the future uh, want to bring in a domestic helper? What is our solution? Well, there are a few things that we can do if we don't start a maid agency, right? And maybe not all called to start a maid agency, right? Direct hire, one of them, right? It's a bit more work for us because we have to go and source for the lady. We have to do the Zoom interviews. We have to chat with them, uh, find some connection, and then uh, uh, bring her in, do the training, but it will save us a mountain of money and it will save them six months of their salary. Or perhaps if we really had to use an agency, consider taking your sister's burdens onto yourself if you were able to. It's going to cost us something to manifest the kingdom. The kingdom is not convenient, my friends. I think that there are ways that are just and fair to people. Now, let's talk about the abortion industry in Singapore. I think that Christians need to unapologetically stand up against the horror of abortion because abortion is killing the life of a a little innocent child, right? Christians must be unapologetic about this regardless of what society says. We need to be the ones who tap on the creativity of heaven to harness the media in our world today, to persuade, to tell stories of life, beautiful stories that capture people's imaginations and attentions. We need to be the ones to be at the forefront of fostering and adoption, like what the 100 Homes Movement is doing. Did you know that in Singapore, there's only about 600 kids in the foster care system and there are about 600 churches? If every church just adopted one kid, we would empty the foster care system. Is that a task too difficult for us to do? 100 homes. Go and look it up if God is speaking to you about um, uh, fostering. We need to be the ones at the forefront of crisis pregnancy and caring for moms with unsupported pregnancies. It's not enough to just say, don't kill your child. We need to be helping them do it. And so that's exactly what our sister Jennifer Heng is doing with Safe Place, right? 
We need to be the ones who, even for ladies who have aborted their children, provide post-abortive grief counselling. We need to be the healers as well. Not extending the judgment of God when people are already broken. There is so much that needs to be done. Not quite done yet. Can I have five minutes more, please? There is so much more that needs to be done. And we need to um, put our hands to the plough, really, as we disciple the culture. We need to be Christians who make abortion in this country unnecessary and unthinkable, not just outlawing it in the law. We need to be the solution to the cries of our prayers. And so the question is, will we rise to the occasion and inconvenience ourselves? Will we spend of ourselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? Okay, worship team, you can come out now. I thought I might as well just give us some runway. Lah. You know the aeroplane needs to take off, right? Finally, <laughs> thank you, Karen. <laughs> Finally, I want to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. Right? I spoke about the spirit of jubilee. What does the ministry of reconciliation look like in our world today? Now, the scripture is on your screen, right? 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself to give us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are healed to heal the gap between people, mankind, and God, right? And we have received the ministry of reconciliation. So I was thinking, which are the groups of people that we can extend this ministry to? And here are some questions that I feel that the Spirit of God is asking us here today. Are there people who have been hurt by church and left in a huff that we know about? I know a few, right? Perhaps these people need a safe way to come back to church. Perhaps they are staying away in shame because they believe that God will not accept them back in home once again. Perhaps they need a safe community of brothers and sisters who are disciples of the three-mile-an-hour God to walk slowly and patiently with them, to love them for their own sakes so that they know that they belong and that there's no mission to Christianize them. Has God placed in our hearts anybody from this group that we could be reaching out to? You know, there's a scripture, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That's Matthew 24, right? I'm a political science graduate and in political science, I know that there is a difference between a state or a country and a nation. You see, a state is like Singapore, like Malaysia, right? But a nation is a group of people that is bound together by common experience, common uh, language, shared history, you know, that kind of thing, right? The ties that bind. I'm going to suggest something that's a little bit unorthodox, but could it be that if a nation is a group of people that is bound together by common experience, is the LGBT community a nation? Could it be that God is raising up a generation of young missionaries to speak to this group of people? To speak to them in a way that they can understand? To extend love and unconditional acceptance in the house of God? Many of us think that 
gay people or transgender people would reject the gospel because of their lifestyle choice, because that's their identity. And if they were given a chance to accept the gospel, they would reject it. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie that stops us from reaching, reaching out to them. Even right now, just a couple of days ago, somebody wrote to me, you're a, you're a homophobic bigot. And this guy didn't even know me, man. But I've been talking to him. And the latest message that I have on my phone is, I wish I could find a good church to go to in the States. This guy is in the States. He's a gay man his whole life. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. doesn't know anything about sin. The message of Jesus is relevant to everybody. There's nobody that's excluded from His kingdom. Is God putting in our hearts anybody from that community, that nation to be reached out to? It doesn't matter if they're not living yet in obedience because our God is a God whose redemption comes from kindness. His kindness leads us to repentance. He is gracious to us before we even deserve it. He did that for Matthew, for Zacchaeus, for me, for you. Why not them? Right? Finally, the third group. Are there people who have been disgraced in this society? You know, I was thinking about a young influencer who was recently charged for some indiscretions. And this guy used to be a believer. He even went to Bible college and he became very popular. He lost it. I don't know this guy, but my heart is breaking for him, man. In this culture, we are a shame and honour culture. And what people say of us, the public impression that we have is very important. These guys are going to be facing prejudgment after prejudgment after prejudgment when they encounter a very public shaming because of some crime or some, you know, scandal, right? Is it not for those of us who have been on the forefront of being forgiven first, given the Ministry of Reconciliation first, to reach out in love, to extend that chance for redemption? care for them when nobody else will. Has God put any one of these people into our hearts and our minds today? And maybe finally, the ministry of reconciliation is not just for unreached people to be connected to God. Maybe it's for us to be connected to one another as well. I was in London this one time and there was a preacher at Holy Trinity Brompton and he said, if the reconciliative heart of God is so great as to restore all of sinful humanity to the most holy God, surely it is sufficient to restore us to one another as well. That broke me, man. In Cornerstone, we are a spirit-filled family. We love one another here. But could it be possible that there is bad blood that runs in our veins? Something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, reconcile, reconcile, solve this problem, fix it, don't let it fester. Scripture is very clear. If you are offering your gift before the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, first leave your gift there before the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's going to cost us something, it's not easy, right? We, we risk rejection, we re risk being shamed better to be rejected than to grieve the heart of God, my friends. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to anybody to reconcile with somebody here today? You know, we often uh, think, ah, good to reconcile, but then actually after our minds logically process it, we just kind of, ah, no, like, maybe another time, lah, right? Why not reconcile right now? In the middle of service, take out your phone and then just send them a message and say, hey, can we talk? It was so easy for us as children, right? to reconcile to our friends. Hey, can we be friends again, please? I'm sorry. But now that we're adults, not so easy already. 
when you reconcile with your brother or sister, you bring the kingdom of heaven into our midst just that little bit more. May I invite you to stand as we close in prayer today. Lord, we know that the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of talk, but of power. We know, Lord, your central message is not just us and our salvation. We know that you've called us to reach out, to be your hands and feet in the world today, to, to love, to minister, to reconcile hurting humanity unto you, Lord. Teach us, Lord, your servants. Teach us to be obedient. Teach us to be sensitive to your voice. Teach us, Lord, to host the presence of the Holy Spirit in our conversations, in our day-to-day -day walk. Teach us, Lord, to be the solutions to the problems that we see on the earth today. Lord, give us a heart that burns, that aches, Lord, that aches for the ways of heaven. That aches, Lord, that your kingdom will come and that the solutions of heaven will be on earth today. That your will will be done, that humanity will be restored unto you. Give us a burden, Lord, of your kingdom, of your kingdom for, for our brothers and sisters who are lost, for the lost sheep of your fold. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the privilege of this ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord. Something we don't take lightly. My brothers and sisters, I just want you to just take a moment and consider where in this whole puzzle of the kingdom you fit in. What is your role in the kingdom of God today? Lord, we thank you for speaking to us this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, that this message is a message that comes from heaven. Lord, use it to change our lives the way we think. Help us, lead us into repentance, Lord, with regard to the things of the kingdom, the great things of the kingdom of God. Yeah. We are your children. We love you. Our lives are for you to spend like change that is in your pocket. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. just listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.